Hi, well again, thanks for being here this morning um, to continue our motor series where we're actually talking about how God can use the gifts that, that he's given us to change the world. Um, this morning I'd like to introduce you to my friends Hannon and Sabrina. Hannon and Sabrina have both had an experience down in Mexico in Cancun with us. Um, and since Beth is speaking today about uh, back-to-back, we'd love for them to share a little bit of their story with you guys today. So thanks for being here, guys. Sure. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with Horizon and, and the trip and um, your experience down there. Okay. Um, about two years ago, actually, I heard Beth speak here, and I never even heard of back-to-back. And I was in total awe of what the work she was doing, and I was so inspired. I thought, you know what, I really want to be a part of this. So I remember going home that day and Googling back-to-back and finding out what they're doing and what's going on and all the kids that they're helping all over the world. And so I decided to um, call the Mason office, and we just talked a little bit. And then they gave us a little girl named Ami that we've been sponsoring over the last uh, two years or so. And Sabrina and Nicholas, my son, have been writing back and forth to her. And um, it's been great. And then I got to meet her this past trip in February, and Sabrina got to meet her just this last summer. That's awesome. So, Sabrina, you got to meet Ami as well. And and what was that like for you going down and actually getting to spend time and build a relationship with her? It was an amazing experience because in the months leading up to the trip, I was fortunate enough to be able to write back and forth to her, and I was able to do so in Spanish, so it was kind of an unspoken connection um, between us before we even met. But being able to put a face with that written voice I had been corresponding with was a very profound and amazing experience. And I got to meet her one of my first days there, and I got to go up to her and just talk to her about her ambitions, what she wanted to do with her life, and then she asked me about where I came from, and it was just an amazing experience to be able to connect with her on a deeper level than what I was connecting with her before just through the letters. That's great, and and Hannah, you also went on a trip last February, so what, what was that trip like for you from a spiritual perspective? So, you know, it was, I had a lot of apprehensions about going, and but I think once I got there, um, you know, you were forced to put your agendas aside and your to-do list aside and really focus on these kids who have a lot less than what we have, you know, financially and um, family support. And all the women that were with us as far as, you know, um, how much they were just focusing on doing what these kids, you know, need. So it was for me, it was really, um, I was, I felt like I was much closer to God because I became more patient, kinder, um, wasn't really serving myself. So I didn't worry about my needs. I was worried more about the children's needs. Um, so it was really a really great experience. And some of the things that we did really, um, I thought were really great. Like the morning, 30 minute morning, a quiet time really helped us kind of develop an intention for the day. So whether it be patience or kindness or forgiveness, um, it gave us a lot more meaning for the experience. And um, so it was, I thought it was a great experience spiritually, and I felt like I was a much better person for it. So, so when we go on trips, we, we actually um, work with the children and, and work for their needs, but also we receive so much when we go. Sabrina, tell me a little bit about your experience from that perspective. Um, from that perspective, again, I really benefited from the quiet times as well. And not only was I helping myself spiritually, but I was also helping the kids. So it was that kind of balancing act, that give and take, that was really a very profound um, relationship that I found to be present. And throughout the week, as it progressed, 
I became a lot more comfortable with going outside of my comfort zone, whether that be with helping the kids or maybe sharing something personal about myself that I hadn't shared with anyone before. So spiritually, I felt myself become much closer to God throughout the week, and I began to see how he was building into us and working in our lives, especially the lives of the kids as well. That's really cool. So, so would you go again on another trip? Absolutely. I mean, I, for 10 years, I've been wanting to do a mission trip, and I found every single reason not to go because I'm too busy or the kids or this and all that. But you know what? Um, I remember calling you three, three weeks before the mission trip, and I just decided I'm going. I'm just going to go. And it's the, one of the best decisions I've ever made. That's great. So, so somebody sitting out there who's, who's thinking about going on a trip or, or wanting to be involved in back-to-back or, or anything that we do here from a mission standpoint, how would you encourage them yeah, this I morning? Think, like Sabrina said, I think you get so much more than what you give um, on so many different levels. You meet so many wonderful people that are generous of their time, and you become a better person for it. I think that there's, you will be absolutely happy that you went. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that it was the right decision. Anything from you, Sabrina? I definitely think that you really have to put yourself outside of your comfort zone. So for a lot of people, that's a very scary experience. And personally, I had some apprehension about where I was going to stay, how the schedule was going to work. Was I going to connect with the kids? I was very nervous about those things. But I think one of the greatest decisions of my life was just deciding to put that apprehension aside and just go through and do it. Because when you've achieved what you've achieved afterwards, it means that much more because you were maybe afraid or had some apprehension beforehand. That's great. Well, thank you guys. You know, we have a ton going on at Horizon from a mission standpoint, from Operation Christmas Child to we have two trips actually going in February down to Cancun, both a men's trip and a women's trip. So um, if you're at all interested in doing that, we would love to have you join us on those trips. They are absolutely life-changing, one of the most amazing experiences you'll ever have. Um, We're going to spend a few minutes just watching a video so you can kind of get a feel for what those trips look like. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Thank you. Well, we have had the opportunity as a church at Horizon to work with Back to Back for over 10 years now. And we have been so proud of the work that they are doing with orphans. Uh, the teams that we have sent, college, high school, my daughter has gone as well, have just been impacted both spiritually as well as gotten a chance to impact the world through them. And one of our core values as a church is that we know that many of us get hit up with fundraising all the time. So we turn down... 20-plus fundraising uh, requests per month, probably, because we want to honor your privacy and make Horizon a safe place. You don't feel like you're getting hit up all the time. But we also feel like this is a partner that we've worked with for so many years, and we're so excited about uh, what they're doing. In fact, uh, Horizon sends the largest percentage of volunteers to Cancun than any other church because we so believe in their mission. So today, for those of you who already give to Cancun, it's a chance to hear the things they're doing and a message from Beth. For those of you maybe who haven't been involved, maybe it's a, uh, a time for you to think about going on a trip, or maybe to say, boy, I want to be part of financially supporting that. So we'd like you to hear from Beth and her vision to see if this is part of what God might be stirring you to do as he puts a spark in you and sets your motor in place. Can we get uh, Beth a warm horizon welcome? Beth, come on up. Thank Good you. to see you. Welcome. Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. I love to be here. This is National Orphan Sunday, so it's fun to me that I'm here among you all who I feel like are a part of our extended family at Back to Back. And to be a part of a series called Motors, Sparking a Legacy of Action, is kind of fun for me. A couple of years ago, I uh, agreed to become a regular chapel deliverer or speaker at the NASCAR 
uh, Sprint Cup circuit. So the first time I went to NASCAR, I didn't really know very much about the sport. In fact, the chapel is immediately following the mandatory driver and um, crew chief meetings that they have to have. And I kept going, when is the coaches thing over? And they were like, do not say anything about coaches. Because NASCAR drivers do not have coaches. They have crew chiefs. And in some churches, they'd be laughing really hard that I didn't know that my whole life. But <laughs> clearly, you are not NASCAR fans. But anyway, so the first time I got in front of them, you know, they're all in their, like, fire suits, chapel. Some of them are Christ followers, and they race on Sundays, and this is their church. And for some of them, you know, it's like like a rabbit's foot. You know, they don't want to make God mad before they get in a car and drive 200 miles an hour in a circle. So they come to chapel no matter what. And I stood in front of them the first time, like, what in the world do I have to say to you? That would sound significant or meaningful before you go and literally put your life in danger. So I stood in front of them and said these two things. If you know who you are and you understand what breaks your heart, then all activity of life gains more meaning, has more significance. So whether you teach in a classroom or argue in a courtroom or you sell pharmaceuticals or you sell insurance or you drive a stock car, All of life, all of these experiences you have will add up to be more than just an accumulation of days. When you work towards, when you feel literally compelled to act on behalf of the things that break your heart, you will find more significance and meaning in all that you do. So let's start by asking ourselves those questions. Who are we and what breaks our heart? For me, I figured out what broke my heart the summer of 1996. My husband and I were teachers here in the Cincinnati area, and we took high school kids on summer mission trips. And we were in a city. Our task that week was we were partnering with the church, and we were painting the wall around their church from blue to green. But I was pretty sure the year before we painted it from green to blue. And uh, it didn't have a whole lot of significance to us, and so I was complaining a little bit about the paint project, and my husband kind of tired of that. We jumped into a taxi cab. Don't miss this detail, leaving our students in the hands of very responsible adults. But then we jumped into a taxi cab, and I just started to say the word orphan, something that had been just bubbling up a little bit in me, not really good explanation why, but just been thinking about it. I just started to say orphan with a Spanish accent, hoping that the cab driver knew what I meant, like el orfano, el orfanorio, el orfanatorio, el orfanajorio, you know. Eventually he figured out what we meant. He took us to an orphanage. Through some very creative communication, we told the director of this orphanage, hey, we have three things in our hands. We have 20 able-bodied high school students, about 200 U.S. dollars, and one complete day in our trip. And if you had access to those resources, what would you do with them? So he told us that the front window was broken and the kids hadn't had meat in over a year and we could come back tomorrow and remedy those things. And really, I can tell you today, 2014, everywhere we go, anywhere around the world, every day starts that same way, where we try to figure out what it is that we have in our hands, what is it that's breaking our heart, and then how we can bridge those two things in the name of Jesus. And that that connection is what adds the richness and significance and meaning to the Christian life for us. And I would invite for you as well. So anyway, the next day we came back. My husband fixed the window, and I was serving up some hamburgers. And we bought what we hoped would be enough for the, at least the rest of the week, maybe the month. But I was almost out of hamburgers. There's like 40 kids, and we'd bought hundreds of hamburgers. And my husband said, there's just no way these little four- and five-year-olds are eating this many hamburgers. I don't know any four-year-old who can have five hamburgers. So why don't you figure out where they're going? And I followed this little girl into her dorm room. And there I saw something I'll never forget. These little preschoolers were helping each other lift up their mattresses, and they were sticking those burgers underneath them. 
saving them for another day. And in that door frame, we had a conversation that changed the trajectory of the rest of, of our lives. We, we were from Cincinnati. We were talking about what would happen if the people in our faith communities in Cincinnati knew that there were kids out there who were having to hide hamburgers under their mattresses because they didn't know where the next one's coming from. What would that look like if we took that storyline back to the people that we love and care and fellowship and spend time with? What, what would happen? I wish I could say we came home and formed a strategic task force, and then we made a bunch of really important notes, and then we came up with a really fantastic plan, and then we've gone and executed that. But in the beginning, it's not what it looked like at all. We were double income, no kids, this little tiny time in life when you have more money than you really need. We saved one of our salary. We have nine children now, so that feels like a long time ago. But We saved one of our salaries in a bank account and lived off the other. At the end of that year, we took all those all that whole, what felt like a treasure to us. It was one year of a teaching salary, so it wasn't too big of a treasure, but it felt like a treasure. I took it to the PNC Bank down there in Landon, and I said to them, I'm moving to another country. I don't know what we're going to do there. I don't know anything about residency or citizenship or international wire transfers. I don't really have a big plan. I just, God is calling us to go towards, to move in this direction of this thing that's been breaking our hearts. So we're going to go to Mexico and just, like, first of all, learn the language and then learn the culture of the hurt child and spend time as best as we can with kids and try to figure out what is this thing that's bubbling up inside of us. And so she thought the best plan for me, who clearly didn't have a lot of financial savvy at the time, I'm sure she ascertained in about two minutes, why don't you take some traveler's checks? Let's turn your account into traveler's checks. So we took all those traveler's checks down to Mexico. We were there I don't know, maybe a week or so, and it was time to turn those traveler's checks into pesos, the local currency. So I went up to the bank teller, and I knew that the lady told me in Cincinnati all I had to do was turn these things over anywhere in the world, and they'd give me the local currency. So I just handed it all over to her, and she said something to me through the window that we had like a big, thick glass and third-world banks between the people and the money. And she said something to me in the microphone. I didn't understand what it was. I now know she said... Tienes que llamarte nombre aquí, por favor. So that pretty much sounded like Chinese to me. You know, like I had no idea really what that word was at all. So she pushed all those traveler's checks back to me, and I'm thinking, we can't even get ourselves back to Ohio unless these things turn into pesos. So I just gave them right back to her. And then that was not what she had said to me. So she turned and said what she said when we're trying to talk to people that they don't understand us and we want to say it real slow and loud, thinking maybe that will help. So she says to me, Firme tu nombre aquí, por favor. Ponle nombre aquí, por favor. Ponle nombre en la línea, por favor. Le nombre. And she passes it back to me, and I hear people laughing. I think maybe she asked for my passport, so I put it on top of it and gave it to her. That was not what she was talking about. She passed it right back to me. I just thought, I'm going to cry if I say anything, so I just pushed it right back to her. And we did this for a few minutes before I'm really sure some security guards are going to come find me. Finally, she said really loud, Ponle nombre, la nombre en la línea. Ponle nombre aquí. And I said to Todd, I think I've heard that word this week. Here, give me paper and pencil. And he handed me paper and a pen, and I said, oh, I think I got it, Jesus. And I wrote real big on this paper the word nombre, this word I thought I heard she say. And I showed it to her through the glass, and she was like, yes. And she pointed to the line at the bottom of the checks and passed them all back to me, and I picked up a pen and signed every one of those checks with the word nombre. <laughs> nombre. <laughs> one of my favorite verses in the whole of Scripture is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, and it says this. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Jesus did not look down at me at that moment and think to himself, I sent the wrong girl. She doesn't even know how to do a traveler's check. 
He looked at my whole life at one time. He knew all the experiences I had that led me up to that place where I saw those kids in that hamburgers and the mattresses. And he knew all the experiences that would lead me to a place where I'd learn what his traveler's checks. And he sees all the experiences that have led today to 2014, back-to-back, sent this year millions of dollars in rupee and naira and pesos to orphanages and the 140 staff we have now all over the world. God knew this day was coming. And he's looking at me today in 2014 and seeing all the things I still have no idea what to do. He looks ahead and goes, I've got some big storylines still for you, Beth. It's okay that you don't have all the answers. It's okay. Just listen to me and take the next step. The Bible talks about how there's three kinds of love. There's a friendship kind of love, that filios love, and there's a sexual kind of love. And then there's this sacrificial kind of love that we call agape. And agape in its original language has this great big long definition. But the part that I like the best is this piece of the definition that says an agape love is compelled to act. It's a, I can't help myself, I must move forward, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to step even when I don't know what it looks like when I step forward. Exactly what these women experienced when they knew that they were supposed to go on this trip, but they didn't know what it was going to look like and what they were going to wear and what was the schedule and where are they going to sleep and how are they going to connect, it doesn't matter. Agape love, when it deposits itself into you, causes you to lean forward and to step into things that are unknown. That's the posture that God is asking us to take. A couple of years ago, when I went to Israel for the first time in 2010, we were riding on this bus from point A to point B, and our bus driver stopped the bus really fast because he wanted us to take a good look at a scene that was going on up in this hillside. And there was a shepherd boy who was up there with a bunch of sheep and a bunch of goats, and he was tending to his flock. And I don't know if you've ever seen any scene wild like this, but we just stopped to make some observations the first observation I made, I don't know if you can see, this is just with my real little camera I took at the time, but the sheep are in a straight line. And I, I didn't know, first of all, that sheep walked in a straight line. I now know that sheep always walk in a straight line. But I was like, wow. And the, the Bible teacher who was with us explained to us that the, the word that we use for the straight line that a sheep walks in is the same root word we get the phrase paths of righteousness that we use in the Bible. Sheep literally walk, walk along a path of righteousness. The second observation when I was watching them for a few minutes, well, the black things are like all the goats, too. They're, kind of, they're definitely not any kind of straight line. They're, they're walking at the beat of their own drum anywhere they want to. But the second observation I made was, did we stop to watch maybe a not very smart shepherd? Because there's not really looking like a lot of grass around here. So what is it that their animals are eating? Like maybe we should go and inform him that, you know, I don't know. I, I just thought, like, this is not those poor animals. They got, like, the dumb shepherd who didn't know how to take them to a place where they could get green grass. And we were there after rainy season, so that was as green of the hillside as I had ever seen. And the Bible teacher said, hey, no, take a look for a minute, Beth, underneath the rocks. So I lifted up a rock, and I just took a picture. That's what's behind me of the thickest tuft of grass I could get my eyeballs on. And this grass was literally created because the dew from the morning moisture would trap itself under the rock and it would create enough that a little bit of grass would grow up underneath it and that's what it is. So I'm like, okay, well maybe there is a little bit of grass there, but here's what's happened. When I've read Psalm 23 every year of my entire adult life, it says something to us like, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm grateful for that, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And these were the same kind of hills that David was in when he wrote this. And I said to everybody, hey, listen, when I 
think of green pastures. I think of fields full of waist-high alfalfa. I do not think of these little tiny tufts of grass stuck underneath the rocks. We were watching for a little bit, and then you could see along this path of righteousness where these sheep were walking, the shepherd was just weaving his way in and out, and he was pointing out to them where, from his perspective, he could see better. These tufts of grass had gotten themselves trapped under the rocks, and the sheep were literally cocking their heads up, listening to where the shepherd was leading them to their grass. So he would just walk along the path of righteousness and just kind of point it out to the sheep, and then they would fill their mouths with that little bit of grass, literally the size of a human fist, And then this much grass, it takes like three steps to finish digesting, right? You don't chew very long when you have like seven blades of grass in your mouth. And so the the sheep would listen, get directed to the tuft of grass, take a bite, chew it for about four steps, and then need to be in a position where they have to listen again. And then they would take another bite. We We just watched it for a long time. And I said... Here's the deal. When I think about waist-high alfalfa and the Lord being my shepherd and taking me to this unbelievable field, I always pictured a posture of independence. You take me to the field where I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want. I can. I, there's so much of it I can roll around in my food, right? That's That's the image I had, a picture of independence. But this picture I was looking at in Israel is this picture of a shepherd leading me in a posture of dependence. I don't really know where what I'm going to need is more than about three steps at a time. And then I'm immediately in a place where I have to listen to what it is that he has for me next. Sometimes people ask us things like, where do you think back-to-back is going to be in ten years? And I'm telling you, every bit of the flesh in my body wants to cry out with something impressive. I want to say to that person, you know what, back to back, we're going to be like in a hundred countries in 10 years and we're going to serve around a million children and we're going to spend about a billion dollars doing it, right? I mean, I just like want to come up with the wildest claim in the room so that the reaction of the person who I'm talking to will go, wow, that's incredible vision you have. That's not vision. I just made up the biggest numbers I could think of off the top of my head. That's not... Vision is listening to the Lord and taking the next step and believing that God writes the very best stories. And maintaining ourselves in a posture of dependence will take us on paths and storylines and to places and in relationships and to experiences and to see miracles and to watch things unfold that we could have never imagined or created for ourselves, no matter how high the grass is or how far it goes. We have a shepherd, and he's looking for two things. He's looking for faithfulness and availability, and then he takes care of all of the rest of it. And if we can put ourselves in those places, there's no telling where the experiences and the service opportunities and the compelled-to-action kind of love that we express will take us. There's this funny passage in Moses. I mean, in Exodus 19 with Moses. God's at the top of a mountain. It's about 6,000 feet tall. And at this point in Exodus 19, Moses is around 80 years old. And God says to Moses, I want you to come up here. i got something to tell you. Maybe Moses is like, if I could hear you tell me to come up here, then maybe I could hear whatever it is you want to tell me. And I don't need to actually climb the 6,000 feet. But Moses did not do that. He got to the top of the mountain. The Lord said, okay, here's what I want. I want you to tell this great message to my people down there. Go down and deliver the message. Then come up and tell me how it went. Really, at 80 years old, he might have said, well, if you're a God, you could probably watch how it goes. If you'd like to, just just put your eyeballs right down there, and I'll go down and do it, and you can just see how it unfolds. 
But Moses, of course, doesn't do that. He goes down to deliver the message. He comes back up to tell the Lord about how his people receive the message. And then the Lord says to him on the second time at the top of the mountain, I really want you to get Aaron. I got some things to tell him, too. Go down and get Aaron and bring him up. We'll do this again. Imagine what it was like for Moses in his heart. On the third time in the same week, at 80 years old, he drug his body up 6,000 feet to talk to his creator. Moses has some incredible storylines in the Bible, right? He's the guy that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that got to feed people manna from the sky. He's talked to God in a burning bush. I mean, he has these unbelievable stories, but I don't think you get to be a part of that great big storyline unless you're the guy willing to go up a mountain for the third time without any understanding that God wants anything other than obedience, faithfulness, and availability. And when you put yourself in a place where you bend your independent, I've got a better way, I'm a goat, I'm going to try this way, stubborn me at the altar of a God who's written all things, who has all people, who understands how he made you and what he's put inside of you that will break your heart. When you capture that there's a king and a Lord that we are to surrender to, then you get swept up into something that gives your life and our day-to-day activities more significance and meaning than anything we could ever muster up on our very own. I have a little video I want to show you. It's about a girl that um, lives in Mexico. I mean, I'd love to just pick up and take us all there for the afternoon. This would be a fun afternoon to be there on Orphan Sunday. I have a lot of people I would introduce you to, where, where Horizon goes specifically is called the Quintana Roo State, where Cancun is. And that particular state has the highest rate of depression of the entire country, highest rate of suicide, alcoholism, teenage pregnancy. People come from Guatemala and Belize and all over the Republic of Mexico, and they all go into this little Quintana Roo, which they've seen pictures of. It's paradise, and they expect and dream of a life different than they've experienced from wherever it is they came from. And they get there, and there's too many people and not enough jobs. And things begin to go downward spiral, and there's utter chaos. It looks beautiful along the beaches, but you go less than a mile away from those resorts, and the entire population is depressed and discouraged and trying to numb the pain they have with substance and sex, with what we call gold glory and girls. They're just desperate to feel something other than they feel. Because if I go back to my NASCAR guys, they don't understand who they are. They don't understand that they've been that they're seen by God, created by God, loved by God, chosen by God, gifted for greatness. And they don't know what breaks their heart. They're very and wholly focused on their own life and their own life experience and their very sense of survival. It is in the midst of all of that, that we get the chance to love on orphans, the collateral damage of people who live lifestyles like those. And one of those little girls is a girl named Shannon. Shannon was abandoned at age four, and at different stages in her development, at age eight and at age 12 and at age 15, she struggled with what it means to be an elementary girl who was an orphan, an adolescent girl who was an orphan, a teenage girl who was an orphan. And God captured her heart. And we we filmed a bit of her story. The film you're going to see was taken last year at age 18. And I want you to hear a little bit about what happened inside of her in her life when she realized who she was and what it is that was breaking her heart. And we'll talk about it in a minute. My favorite line in that video is where she says, Ya no me siento como antes. I don't feel anymore today like I used to. 
she and a bunch of the college students um, from our Mexican, what we call the Hope Education Program, they're college students who came from these orphanages but who are slowly awakening to the, the storyline God has for them. They traveled on an airplane to Haiti this summer, and they shared that storyline with the Haitian orphans, this country that has 80% unemployment, that is devastated. The Haitian orphan has such faltering faith. Does God see me? Does he hear me? Does he have something for me? Is there something in there? And she stood in front of them and told them the same things I told those men in their fire suits. Don't forget who you are. You are gifted for greatness, chosen by God, loved, seen, planned for, wanted. What is it that God has broken your heart for? What is it that he is writing you into? What does he want to use you in? And when those Haitian students stand up and respond to that call given to them by someone else in their exact same circumstances, they become a part of something that's not a cause. They're not just serving in order to balance a lifestyle of selfishness. They're getting swept up into something that's bigger than all of us. When we want to leave a legacy, when we want to engage wholly and fully in what God has for us, it leaves a mark on a generation that is still to come. That is the challenge and the invitation for all of us, whether we are in the classroom or the courtroom or the racetrack or at home on this side of the border or that one. Would you just raise your hand and tell him today, yes, yes, I'll go where you ask. I'll step. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have for us. Thank you for the storylines we feel bubbling up inside of us that we have no idea where to go or what to do. Jesus, continue to stoke that fire. Reveal to us how to take three steps at a time and listen for where to go. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, every time I think about uh, the series we put it together, you know, we came up with the idea. And it was that what God does in us is just as important as what he does in them. That God wants to do something in us. He wants to develop a, a heart of compassion, a heart of love. He wants to stretch us and grow us and live this incredible motorized life of self-service. Maybe today as you heard this story, you said, well, I want to go on one of those trips. And uh, January, we're sending a men's trip. You can get information from the information uh, booth today. Maybe if you're a woman, you want to go on the trip in February. We love the sign-ups now happening for those back-to-back trips. Or maybe today you're like, you know, Chad, honestly, I'm not going to go on a trip. But, man, I'm compelled. I want to be part of changing the world. I want to be part of that. You can contact Beth or back-to-back directly about all the needs they have. Financially, you say, I want to be part of financing that. I want to be part of helping with that. We want to make a difference in the world. We believe that God has placed us here and has put a burden on our heart to help the less fortunate. That's what we're about as a church. You know, we don't do offerings at our church because we never want people to give out of guilt or shame. We want you to be on mission. So if you love what's going on and want to be part of them, uh, what back-to-back soon, you can talk to them directly because we believe in the mission they have for changing the world. I pray for us and we'll call it a day. Father, thank you. We ask that that call to live out the mission of helping others will be so real. God, we think not helping the poor is like a misdemeanor. And you think it's a disaster. You think it's a disaster that little kids have to hide hamburgers under their mattresses when we're throwing away that and more every meal. God, we ask that you break our hearts for that which breaks yours. God, that we be part of the mission of living out every day looking for those who are hurting. And taking what's ours and giving it to those less fortunate. 
And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week as we continue our series. Thanks again.